Good morning. Welcome to the assembly of the Laurel Heights Church of Christ. Today, on this first day of the week, can we open the New Testament now to the gospel according to Mark, the second book in the New Testament, the gospel according to Mark. Like Matthew, Luke, and John, Mark is writing about one central character, Jesus Christ, the Savior. His writing style isn't the same as the others. The emphasis and sequence isn't identical. But Mark is inspired by the Holy Spirit, like the other writers, to present to his readers Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Listen, please, to the opening paragraph in Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's Mark 1, verses 1 through 8. Each gospel writer teaches the same truth about Jesus Christ, but not with the same approach or identical terminology. Matthew starts with the genealogy of Christ, Luke with the birth narratives of John the Baptist, the forerunner, and then Jesus. John, in the Gospel of John, starts with affirmations about who Jesus is, his deity. Mark records no birth story of Jesus, no biographical or family information, no childhood events, no social or historical background. Mark opens with what might be considered the title of his work, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then Mark takes us to two critical starting points. And they're related. Mark takes us, in the beginning of his work, to two critical starting points, and they have a relationship. Mark takes us to prophecy, and then to the prophecy's fulfillment. This morning, I want to make four observations 
about this passage. And these four observations are going to lead to one simple question that I'll offer at the close of the sermon. The gospel is rooted in prophecy. When people think of the Old Testament, who do they think of? When people think of the Old Testament, they think of Abraham and Moses and David and Daniel and the prophets. Jesus is associated more with the New Testament. But will you stop and consider, please, that Abraham, Moses, David, Daniel, and the prophets were all given promises and statements about the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. They wrote about Jesus. The Old Testament has this rich thread of anticipation that leads to the New Testament and leads specifically to the person of the New Covenant, Jesus Christ. Consider that God told Abraham all nations would be blessed by one of his descendants. Moses spoke of Christ when he said in Deuteronomy 18, God will raise up a prophet like me, unto him you shall hearken. David was told that his reign, his throne, was a shadow that would be fulfilled by the eternal throne and kingdom of Jesus Christ. And Daniel spoke clearly of the kingdom of Christ that we belong to if we've obeyed the gospel. So Jesus Christ coming to the world and his ultimate redemptive work is very much the subject of the Old Testament. And Mark reminds us of that. Mark starts by quoting Isaiah because the gospel of Christ, the life of Christ, and all that God did through Christ was the subject of Old Testament prophecy. And Isaiah was a big part of that. God said what he was going to do long in advance before it happened. Isaiah wrote what God gave him to write and speak about the coming Savior. God had said through Isaiah that a preliminary messenger would come. And we know him to be John the Baptist. He would prepare the way. In, in those days, when a king, an ambassador, or a dignitary arrived, a herald or forerunner would come before to announce in advance the approach of the dignitary. That's the role of John the Baptist. Isaiah wrote about this pioneering work. And this happened just as it was written hundreds of years before. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But Mark makes it clear and John the Baptist, the forerunner, made it clear John was not the main event. He was not the main person. That is so clear. Look at this that Mark said. <clears throat> John the Baptist preached, After me 
comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Mark is telling his readers and he's telling us, God said this would happen long before John the Baptist was born. This was not a plan put together in a moment. And it was written in the book of Isaiah. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all said about Jesus of Nazareth, He is the one God said would come. Fulfilled prophecy is one of the great pillars of evidence upon which the gospel stands. We are unable to say what will happen in 700 years. Most of us are unable to say for certain what will happen this afternoon, or tomorrow, or next week, or in 2019, much less being able to sit down with pen and paper and write down something that will happen in 700 years. And we don't know any human who can engage in that kind of foreknowledge. God has that capacity to plan what He will do, to signal it through prophecy, and then make it happen. And that's how John begins to tell the good news of Jesus, the Son of God. The gospel is rooted in prophecy. The gospel is the way of the Lord. When Jesus came, it was in fulfillment of God's plan. God didn't give His plan into the hands of men and say, here, work this out. He didn't delegate the scheme of redemption to men to work out as they saw fit and to quibble about and brainstorm over in a meeting. The way of salvation is the way of the Lord. What John the Baptist did and said was as determined by God. What Jesus did and said, that was the way God intended it to be. When you open the New Testament and read about Jesus Christ, who He is and what He did and what He expects, you are learning the way of the Lord. As God's plan unfolded, He was in full control. Even when men and women on earth were making huge mistakes, God was in control. The whole plan was and is the way of the Lord. So that now, if you believe what you read in the New Testament, and as you respond to the New Testament, and you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a participant in the way of the Lord. Don't let men intrude into that. Men cannot write religious law. Men cannot change God's law. Men must not be allowed to receive the allegiance only God deserves. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John introduce to New Testament readers the way of the Lord. And that's what I want. How about you? I want the Lord's way. I don't want something that men worked out over time. I don't want something that men crafted over a conference table. I want the Lord's way. So after reading Mark, I'm going to keep reading. 
on the pages of the New Testament what is described as the way of the Lord. And once I discover what the way of the Lord is, as the New Testament describes it, I will discover that the gospel requires a response. As we read the Bible, some very simple things become immediately obvious. Before you ever define words or get into the depth of study, some things are immediately obvious. When God sends a message to man, with that message, there is obligation to listen to the message and comply with any instructions that are given. How simple is that? The gospel requires a response. And that's apparent in Mark. It was apparent very early, even before Jesus began his ministry in the preparatory work of John the Baptist. God required repentance actually from the beginning of his dealings with men and women who sinned. It was never the case in previous dispensations before Christ that God didn't expect people to change, to stop doing wrong, to give up sin, to repent, to respond to Him. The prophets of the Old Testament commanded repentance on virtually every page of their written prophetic work. John the Baptist taught repentance. Then Jesus came and He said in Luke 13, Repent or perish. Then after Jesus died and ascended back to the Father, when Peter preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost, according to Acts 2, he said, repent and be baptized. That's a response. Here in the beginning of the gospel of Mark, again we discover that when God makes a gracious provision for mankind, a response is expected. I'm afraid there are people who want every good thing that God has ever promised in their lives. And they say they want to go to heaven, but they have no interest in repentance. Or the baptism commanded by the apostles after John. They don't want to change. There are sins on their record, in their minds, and in their lives, yet there is no intention to give up those sins. Even before Jesus came on the scene, His forerunner said, You must repent. You want to get ready for the Messiah? You must respond. The gospel requires a response. You must give up your sin. Repentance is genuine change. Giving up sin, embracing what is good and right, making a clear and clean break from your sins, to stand before God with sorrow, to be baptized and change your life. Reading the gospel of Mark, hearing the gospel preached, learning about Christ is not sufficient if it doesn't lead to a response. The choice to change. And for today, we are after the work of the forerunner, John the Baptist. 
We are after the death and resurrection of Christ. Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended back to the Father. And the apostles consistently taught people to respond. Repent and be baptized. And then walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's the way of the Lord. The gospel addresses man's problem. The gospel addresses man's problem. You cannot read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John without clearly seeing page after page what God is doing in sending Christ and delivering the message that Christ delivered. You cannot miss what God is is dealing with. God is offering to lift us up from our sin, canceling the guilt by the blood of Christ, and enabling us to live righteously here and then go to heaven. God is addressing our number one problem. God is addressing a problem and offering the only solution. And it's a problem we are entirely inadequate to deal with on our own. And the word for all that is grace. Salvation by grace, but remember, we must respond. God says, here's a gift I'm offering based on the cross. You have to receive it. You have to reach out and take it. Repent and be baptized. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Hearing this message, we confess our faith in Christ, repent and obey the Lord in baptism, and then set our life on the right course. That's how we accept the gift God is offering. And it's the only way to get out of sin and in good standing with God. You don't slip into good standing with God. You make a choice to obey the gospel of Christ. Mark and the other New Testament writers want to inform us, motivate us, challenge us to have a life with God that we could never have without Him. You know what you've heard this morning? You've heard the gospel of Christ. Do you remember the promise that I made when I started, when I came up here? I said that after presenting these four observations based on Mark 1, 1 through 8, there would be one simple question for each of you. Have you obeyed the gospel? You can do so today. While we stand to sing, please be standing.